Hi and welcome to this podcast and in this session we're going to look at the idea of institutions and how isomorphic pressures shape and specifically steer or constrain strategic options. So where does this sit? I mean, the issue really is that in developing strategic options, one of the fundamental places that we need to look is at the external environment. And so in many ways, we may, first of all, begin with a macro environment. We will use something like this a pastel analysis, for instance, to look at the social, legal, economic, political, technological and ecological factors that may be acting upon our business. Equally, we may conduct some form of industry analysis, for example, in the form of five forces analysis to understand what is going on in our industry, where our business sits in that industry and whether or not we can capitalize on some of the industry structural dynamics. The other factor, of course, is that we can look at institutions and really the complexity of external environment when operating in multiple international markets is largely driven by the issue of institutions. So before we go any further, let's just pause for a second and think about who searches for opportunities and threats. Well, essentially it's employees and specifically it's managers. And in a multinational enterprise, for example, it's not just the corporate headquarters in many instances, and in fact, I would say it should be subsidiary managers. And so in this case, the locus of international market knowledge often sits with subsidiary managers. And especially if you have certain human capital resources, such as expatriate managers, who may have more insight into the local institutions or the local host country market, for instance. Now, anyways, the whole point of this is that in conducting our analysis of a host country, industry set of markets you know inside these international markets that we are operating in then institutions have the potential to act on this analysis and this has implications so to begin what do we mean by institutions well institutions are really the regulatory the political the socio-cultural tempted to say bodies, but really in the, the, the institutions that are acting on the business or can have a bearing on the business, in this case, especially with subsidiaries. So, for instance, what are the regulatory rules? What are the political landscape? What are the ways in which things are expected to be done, either in political or sociocultural um, ways? What does it mean to conduct business? How are employees meant to be treated and how do they expect to be treated? What are some of the national cultural dynamics, for instance? Now, for us, the interesting question about institutions is the issue of isomorphism. And in this sense, isomorphism is important because there are at least three types that we need to be very mindful of. One is mimetic isomorphism. This is a situation where organizations model themselves on other organizations. And it typically happens when we are unsure of what the lay of the land is, what is the best correct practice inside the country. So we look at other businesses, how they perform, and we essentially 
isomorph or we mimic what they do. So this is, let's say, common under a degree of uncertainty. When we're not sure how to approach doing business in a particular country, we will essentially mimic what others do. Coercive isomorphism, however, is formal and informal pressures put on the organization, typically by government or stakeholders, to behave in certain ways and adopt certain practices. The most logical example of this is government. Of course, this can either come from direct government regulation or implied regulation, where, for instance, a pressure is put on businesses to behave in certain ways or that they are expected to behave in certain ways. In other words, act before we regulate. You often see this, for instance, with new or novel businesses that are challenging the way things are traditionally done. So let's, you know, randomly take Airbnb as and Uber as advantages, so as examples. So Airbnb obviously destabilizes what we understand by traditional housing, also de destabilizes what we understand by traditional um, hospitality industry in terms of hotels or renting, you know, all of that is destabilized. So Airbnb, for instance, would want to work with the government of a country to try to develop a positive or productive regulatory regime because it's going to understand that as something that destabilizes the rental market, that destabilizes the hotel industry, that it's those actors in those industries are going to push back. You know, there is no way, for instance, that a traditional rental agency or landlord is going to look at Airbnb and think, hmm, I'm happy with them entering the market. Equally, enormous hotel chains are not going to look at this and think, hmm, these are going to destabilize my market. I think I'll let it be. No, they're going to lobby governments for some kind of regulation. So Airbnb would then want to proactively work with governments to try to shape regulation. So it's then not being coercively forced to behave in a particular way, but it's going to do so in a way that is positive all round. Now let's flip the coin and use Uber as an example. And there is a deliberate reason why I set up this example. If you look at Uber and particularly in how it entered into several markets, its attitude really was, we're breaking new ground, we're changing the world, we're super novel, deal with it. Unfortunately, that did not exactly go down very well. So, for instance, in London, there were significant protests by black cab taxi drivers precisely for this reason, because black cab taxi drivers are heavily regulated. On the other hand, Uber drivers could literally start a business or start up as a contractor under very minimal conditions. And therefore, suddenly, the taxi market, particularly in London in this particular example, was heavily destabilised. So you should expect some retaliation, and that can often come in the form of lobbying. Now, of course, Uber's intransigence towards working with government in the UK and France is another good example, led to a situation where not only were they then regulated against by government, but also the uh, Uber's approach of classifying its drivers as uh, contractors was negated and instead they was the the law or the government decided well actually no we treat them as employees now you need to think about how you're going to service their um, legitimate and legal rights 
So you can see here that in this case, Airbnb may have worked proactively with the governments to try to you know, help it understand what it was doing and its business model and its implications. But unfortunately, Uber went you know, rather gung-ho at this and ended up being regulated against and, of course, suffer coercive isomorphism. The final example or type of isomorphism is something called normative isomorphism, which is really the conditions and methods of work within a context, so be that a country or a profession or an industry or a sector, the importance of formal education in making hiring decisions or you know various types of expectations about how a business conduct itself or how it's you know intended to do business. So that's normative isomorphism. So the point about all this is, again, you may identify a set of strategic options about entering new markets or about an innovation, for instance. But if you don't think carefully about institutions and isomorphic pressures, they can have a direct bearing on whether or not your strategy is viable or legitimate or is going to run into problems further down the line. And again, I can just point to Uber as, as a convenient example here, just for the sake of, of making the um, comparison. So again, think then about how regulatory rules may force or compel coercive isomorphism. Think about how expectations in a country or a market may create normative isomorphic pressures. And also think then about how common beliefs or shared understood ways of doing things may require you to mimic, you know, the way business is typically being done in a particular country. And here, I, I would say think very carefully about some of the cultural dynamics. So, for instance, when entering the Chinese market, if you're an international business, you need to think about having a local partner. That's a coercive isomorphic factor because it's a regulatory thing. On the other hand, the way that social relationships and socio-political relationships work in getting business done is a form of mimetic and normative isomorphism because it's about the way things are typically done in the country. And so you need to think about some of those issues and how they may have a bearing on how you go about building strategic relationships. So again, I just want to draw your attention then to the idea of both the benefits and dangers of isomorphism in helping you understand or develop your strategic options when evaluating external environments. And I think really what it can do is both create opportunities and threats, but also potentially cloud and filter some of the strategic options that you are developing. So I hope that was a useful just thought and sets of insights there into institutions and isomorphic pressures and how they may have a bearing on not just developing your strategic options, but how you may go about acting upon them in time. So I hope that was useful. Thanks for listening and see you in the next one.